You're listening to a sermon from Easter Sunday, where Pastor Kevin walks us through what happened on the road to Emmaus and what that means for us today. He is risen. So good to see you this morning. You guys sound wonderful and singing. If you're visiting with us today, my name is Kevin, and I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here. And if you are visiting, I want to say thank you for joining us. We know you could be anywhere this morning, and we consider it an honor that you're here with us to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. This Easter, in many ways, it feels special. Uh, The last few years have felt like a long winter, and it feels like spring is dawning. You know, we, we, no mask mandates, we have the choir back, we can take communion, not just out of the little cups anymore. And so there's a lot of joy that I feel this morning, and I imagine you do as well, but there's also a little check in my spirit too, because while we're coming out of some really hard things, the last couple of years I think have left... They've definitely left their mark on us. Um, I think that there's a collective weariness, that people are tired, and physically tired, emotionally tired, tired of conflict. I also think there is a wariness, too, of, you know, there's been so many stops and starts, and just this sense of what might be waiting for us around the corner. And if you can relate with that at all, if that resonates with you all, that with you at all. I just want to say that the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the passage we're going to look at today, it speaks to the weary and it speaks to the wary. It's one of my favorite passages in the scriptures. It's in Luke 24. If you want to turn there, if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen. We're going to look at Jesus's encounter with two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus, but we need to get a little bit of a running start. Luke 24 begins telling us that on the third day, a group of women, they went to the tomb and they brought some spices to finish preparing Jesus's body for burial. And when they got to the tomb, they found that the stone had been rolled away and they stared at it. They didn't know what was going on. It wasn't, oh, he's risen from the grave. They were more confused and dumbfounded than anything. And Luke tells us that While they were scratching their heads, trying to make sense of what they were seeing, two angels appeared who said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And the women, they returned back to the place where all the disciples had gathered and they told them what they saw, that the stone had been rolled away, the angels appeared, the angels' declaration, and Peter hears it, and he immediately laces up his Nikes, takes off, running to the tomb to go and examine, but the rest of them, were told, didn't believe. The rest of them, they said, it was nonsense. That's the background for where we're picking up the text today. Verse 13, we're told, now that same day, two of them, now the them there are his disciples, two of the disciples who had just heard the woman's announcement. Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. These two disciples, 
They're confused. They're frustrated. They want to put some distance between themselves and Jerusalem, where so much has just transpired. And so on their way out of Jerusalem, they're talking and trying to make sense of what's happened, all that's transpired. So they almost certainly talked about the triumphal entry, that Jesus riding into Jerusalem with the crowds cheering, Hosanna, Hosanna, and then how it seemed like in an instant the crowds turned against him. They probably talked about the Last Supper and some of the cryptic or confusing things that Jesus said there. They probably talked about his arrest and then his trial and then his crucifixion. See, these two disciples, they had hoped Jesus was the one, but those hopes were crushed at Golgotha. Not just the crucifixion, but the humiliation and the shame. Jesus dying the worst, most shameful death imaginable. And he was supposed to be the Messiah. And so they're on the road to Emmaus. We don't really know exactly. Archaeologists have been able to find in our day where Emmaus was. The word means something like warm well or warm springs. And so some people think that maybe it was a retreat center that these two, they just kind of wanted to get out of Dodge and lay low. So they were disappointed. They were frustrated. They were disillusioned. Now, I think most of us here, we can at some level relate to what the disciples were feeling in that moment. We all know what it's like to face profound levels of disappointment and sadness with life, with God, with ourselves. And we all have ways that we try to escape. We all have ways that we try to numb the pain. We all have ways that we try to check out. We all have Emmauses that we go to. One pastor writing on this text said, Emmaus is the place we go to in order to escape. A bar, a movie, whatever it is, wherever it is, we throw up our hands and say, let the whole dang thing go hang. It makes no difference anyway. Emmaus may be buying a new suit or a new car or smoking more cigarettes than you really want or reading a second-rate novel or even writing one. Emmaus may be going to church on Sunday. Emmaus is whatever we do or wherever we go to make ourselves forget that this world holds nothing sacred, that even the wisest and bravest and loveliest decay and die, that even the noblest ideas that men have had, ideas about love, freedom, and justice, have always in time been twisted out of shape by selfish men for selfish ends. I wonder, what's the Emmaus in your life? So one of the you know, seven or eight streaming services that you can watch a new show or series or movie every single night to just check out. Maybe it's social media, maybe it's food, maybe it's shopping or sports. Like so much of sports, it's just a Maya Sports Center. You watch the same thing over and over and over again. You're just trying to check out. Well, whatever your particular Emmaus might be, here's what I want you to see. We're told in verse 15 that as they talked and discussed these things with each other, as they're walking out of Jerusalem to Emmaus, as they talked and discussed these things With each other, Jesus himself came up 
and walked with them. Now, Jesus, three days earlier, had been crucified, who died, who was buried, and there's some mystery there, and then who defied all of the laws of physics, nature, life, and death, who rose from the grave, transformed in a resurrected body, proving that he is the king of the universe. What does he do when he comes out of the grave? Does he go to Jerusalem and say, you all were wrong? Does he go to the temple and start preaching a sermon, bow down and worship me? No. The first day in his resurrected body, Jesus spends at least half the day walking with two disillusioned, sad, frustrated, doubting disciples on the road to Emmaus. That's how he chose to spend his time. We're told that Jesus, in this text, he doesn't write people off for their doubts or discouragements. He doesn't look at those two disciples and say, they were never any good anyhow. They always struggled to believe. I'm going to just stick with the ones who really believe, who are really devoted. No, he, he chases them down, so to speak. Luke tells us, Uh, that they were kept in verse 16, that these two disciples, they were kept from recognizing him. This is a kind of divine blinding of sorts that God did not allow them to recognize Jesus for who he was on the road, which I think is also interesting because Jesus didn't show up and say, how could you doubt? You're so weak. Why wouldn't you believe? Instead, he shows up in a bit of a disguise and he asks them, What are you discussing as you walk along? Luke tells us that they stood still, their faces downcast, and one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? Now, of course, the great irony here is Jesus alone is the only one who really knows what has happened in these days, But he keeps it going, and he asks them, what things? What you talking about? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more... It is the third day since all of this took place. We had hoped he was the one. We'd banked a lot on him. We'd left our nets and our families and our friends and our wealth and our homes to follow him. We thought for sure he was the Messiah, the one who was going to redeem us. But then he died. So obviously he can't be the one. And then Jesus responds to them while still disguising his identity. How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? In beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. 
I'm convinced that this was the greatest Bible study in the history of the world, and nothing has ever come close to it. Jesus says, how foolish, are you blind? Do you not, do you not understand? And then we're told, beginning with Moses, that's the first five books of the Old Testament. He opens them up and he says, wait, you're not seeing things. Here's how it all fits together. Here's how Jesus, because they still don't know it's Jesus, here, here's, how, here's where he fits. So Genesis 3, when God declares that one of Eve's sons is going to come along and trample on the head of the serpent, Jesus points to that and says, here. Then he gets to maybe the ark, Noah and the ark, and he says, the ark, that was, that was a symbol of the, the Messiah who was going to come that we all can climb into and find refuge in in the day of judgment. Genesis 11, 12, and onward, the promises to Abraham about God making this great nation more numerous than the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Then you get to Exodus and how Jesus came and He's modeling a way of deliverance, a redemption that, that Exodus just foreshadowed, that he's redeeming his people not from slavery to Egypt, but sin. And so he's going through, just going through chapter after chapter, pointing to things, saying, don't, don't you see it all points to Jesus? It says Moses, but it also says, Jesus also said, but also the prophets. And there are a lot of prophecies about Jesus. There are prophecies about him suffering and dying. And the most famous of those was Isaiah 53. So it seems likely that he would have read these very words to those disappointed and disillusioned souls. Where Isaiah writes that he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, the, the problem with these two disciples is they, they had a notion about God, but, but it was only partially true. They could only see part of the story. They could only think in terms of just victory, victory, victory. And so Jesus here, on the road to Emmaus, he challenges them to rethink their thinking about God, about himself, and about the hope he offers. He shows them that actually the very thing that's led them to this place of doubt and despair, that was actually the plan of God. The thing that's causing them to struggle was actually God's design. You see, they couldn't see how God could be at work in the face of such tragedy and loss. And in, in turn, they were not prepared for the resurrection because they couldn't see God's hand in the crucifixion. And yet what Jesus declares to them and in turn to us is that that was God's plan. Both of them were a part of his plan. His plan was that his son would suffer and die in our place for our sins, that he would take the penalty and the punishment that we deserve, but that he wouldn't stay in the grave, that he'd come out of the grave, that he would rise, resurrect a new life, and in that offer us the hope of resurrection as well. As Jesus is explaining this, 
something clicked for the disciples because we're told in verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. And so Jesus, it's near the end of the day, his first day out of the grave. He's still with them. It's near the end of the day. He goes in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them eating dinner, he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and then he disappeared from their sight. As he breaks the bread, these two certainly had heard about the Last Supper probably by this point, about him with the disciples saying, this is my body that's broken for you. And now they're there and they're watching him do it. And all of a sudden, it's like it all makes sense. The crucifixion, the resurrection, who this incredible Bible teacher is, it all makes sense. It's Jesus. And then he vanishes and leaves them there. And then they say, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. Were not our hearts burning within us? Didn't we know something was going on here? We're told Luke informs us that after that, they go back to Jerusalem to all the other disciples and they start proclaiming what they've seen, what the resurrection means and how the crucifixion wasn't the end of the story. It's It's an amazing story. I encourage you to read it. We're short on time. So I just want to ask, what what does this, what hope, what word, what encouragement does this hold forth for us today? Us coming out of a hard season and a discouraging couple of years. You know, it's been like a pressure cooker. Seems like every week I read a new new article. They talk about work and the great resignation and uh, the massive number of people who've quit their jobs or left their jobs have read stories about marriages that are struggling, divorce rates, mental health. There's also a lot of stories about faith and about where people are with God. And if you're a person who's really struggling with your faith this morning, I want to say to you, don't miss the significance of what happened on the road to Emmaus. Don't miss the significance that Jesus, he didn't write these two off because of their struggles and doubts. Instead, he pursued them in love. So if you're here and you're just not in a good place right now, I want you to know that doesn't disqualify you from the life that Jesus offers. If you're here and maybe you used to attend church regularly and you haven't been for a long time, and so even coming through the doors makes you feel a bit uneasy, that doesn't disqualify you. Look at the text. Jesus moves towards us in our struggles. He meets us where we are. And I want you to know this morning could be an invitation from him saying, wherever you are, whatever you're dealing with, I'm not ashamed of you, and I'm willing, willing to engage with you, to walk with you, and to help you. 
That's reflection number one. Jesus doesn't write people off because of their struggles or their doubts. Number two, God is in the business of using the worst things imaginable to bring about good and his purposes. And I don't say that lightly, and I don't say it tritely. I know those of you, there are plenty of you in this room who have suffered devastating loss. I know others of you, it's staring you, like you you are staring at it down the road. You know it's coming for you. So I don't say this lightly, but what I want you to see, even here in this text, even what Jesus is teaching them, is that our God is a God. He doesn't prevent bad things from happening. What he does is he promises through his son and demonstrates most fully through the cross that he works all things together for the good of those who love him. It means even the hard things. I was talking with a friend recently and he said, we all love resurrection. None of us really like what precedes resurrection, which is death and burial. And so if you're in a season where you're struggling and you're struggling with loss, you feel like it's a season of crucifixion, I want you to know that if you are in Christ, if you put your faith in him, while we all experience various crucifixions in life, the promise of the resurrection is that no crucifixions have the last word. For the Christian, resurrection always gets the last word. It's number two. Number three. The last thing I want you to see here is that God's word, God's word is powerful and it's trustworthy and it will set your heart aflame if you put yourself under it. These disciples, even Jesus, the resurrected body, he could have done all kinds of magic tricks. We know he could walk through walls and do other things. He could have done all sorts of things to prove to his disciples that he was who he was, his power, his resurrection, but he didn't. Instead, he said, let's, let's open up the word. Let's look at the stories once again. And you're going to see me written on every page. And what we strive to do here at Sojourn East every week through our preaching, but also through our liturgy, through our songs and our prayers We seek to open up God's word, one, to grow in our knowledge and understanding of who he is and what he's up to in our world, but even more, we do it to encounter Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's why we gather here. It's not just to, to learn a few more things. It's to encounter the living God. And so if you're visiting, we encourage you to come back. But when you come back, no, we're not here to offer you great wisdom for life. Sometimes we will offer great. Sometimes it's just okay. There are a lot of places, though, you can go to get wisdom for life. That's not what we're here to do. What we're here to do is to encounter the living God through his word by the power of his spirit. And Jesus, in his word, he tells us that he's come to, to offer us abundant life, fullness of life, the life we were made for. And we encounter that life through him, through his word, through his spirit. Thanks for listening. For more information, go to sojourneast.com slash what's happening. He is risen. He is risen.